Uh, welcome this morning. If you're new here with us this morning, we are glad that you are here. Um, and we are going to get into our scripture this morning. We are at the end of a three-week series. Uh, we've done New Year, New You. New Year, New Church. And today we're doing New Year, New Vision. We will be in Ephesians 4. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and find your place there in Ephesians 4, that's where we will be shortly. When we talked about a new year, new you, we talked about having a heart of conviction, which is just the state of being convinced of something, uh, being convinced that Jesus is who He says He is, and living in a way that shows that you're convinced of God's truth. And then last week we talked about new year, new church, uh, that it's, as the day draws near, it's time to have a sense of urgency about the things God has put before us. And then today we're talking about New Year, New Vision, unity above everything. Unity above everything. So that's what we'll get into this morning as we get to Ephesians. You know, there's a, a uniqueness in God's church. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's a uniqueness in God's church that is a very beautiful thing to witness. A few weeks ago, Kayla and the kids and myself were... Uh, in my hometown, visiting for the holidays, and we were able to attend uh, church with my mom and her husband, and my sister, uh, and where her and her boyfriend now attend. They've been attending there for some time, and uh, I don't know how long it's been since you visited a different church, but when you're a guest in a church, you walk in with a, a different eye than you do when you're in your home church. You see everything. You notice everything. You take a, 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 a look at the parking lot. You notice the buildings. You notice the architecture. You notice the design. You definitely notice the people, the atmosphere. Everything stands out when you're at a new church. And I, already being a fairly curious and observant person, sometimes to my own fault, I was taking it all in. It was, it was fun to just go to a church where no one knew me. Um, but it was also very refreshing just to go to church. I haven't just gone to church in quite some time. Um, and, and I was taking it all in, and, and here's what I saw. I saw people dressed up, and I saw people dressed down. I saw white people and black people and brown people and a lot of different other colors. I saw people of different economic sta- status, it was a fairly young, progressive type church atmosphere, to be honest. It was very relaxed. It was very inviting. It was very organized. It was nice. There were even uh, interracial couples there, which was something that you don't see very often. The worship band led us in a great time of song. One of the executive pastors preached because the lead pastor was out on vacation. This was the Sunday before um, New Year's Eve, so he was out that day. He preached a very nice, biblically-driven message. This pastor, by the way, is also in an interracial marriage, which is something you don't see very often. It was just very nice. It was, it was cool. It was, it was a very cool church service to go to. So do you have this place in mind? Can you see it? Are you picturing it right now? Well, here's the, <laughs> the funny thing, if you've got that in your mind. As we were leaving, we were walking through the foyer, big, big foyer, it's a, big, it's a pretty big church, walking through the foyer, headed to pick up my nephews, 
over in the other building in the kids' room, in the kids' area, kids' building. And I walked past uh, an older white man. And this, to the world, would have been something that was contradictory to probably what I just described to you. Maybe even contradictory to what you were picturing, but I saw an older white man, kind of rougher looking guy. Typical East Texas good old boy. Jeans, t-shirt, boots, and a big bright red MAGA hat. You know, a, a, a Trump hat, if you don't know what that is. And guess what? I just had a huge smile on my face as I walked past him. I was walking off because I'd been thinking about all this other stuff. And then, and then, I, and then I walked past, past this guy and I'm, and I'm smiling. And you know why I'm smiling? Because nobody cared. <laughs> nobody cared. Nobody noticed. It was not a problem. To the world, it may be a problem. To the world, there may be a division in the two things I just described to you. But in the church, not so much. What, what is that? What is that unique thing that brings us together? What is that thing that can bring people together of such seemingly different types of people? Different types of people by the world standard, under one roof, all together, at one time. What is that? As we look at several verses in Ephesians this morning, Ephesians chapter 4 today, we're going to dig into what that is and why it's so important. But first, as we, as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, notice there in that verse, it says, Therefore I, I being Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. I love that. That's not hyperbole. It's not a metaphor Paul is speaking of there. Paul is, Paul is literally a prisoner when he writes this letter to the church of Ephesus. Paul was imprisoned more than once in his lifetime. This, was, this letter was probably written during his Roman imprisonment in A.D. 60 to 62, not very long after Jesus had been on the earth. And Paul the prisoner says in chapter 4, if you're looking, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Walk worthy of the calling. Walk worthy of your calling. As a convicted follower of Jesus, you are carrying His name. You are His ambassador. His earthly representative walk, live in a way that is worthy of that title. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another, one another being other followers of Jesus, in love. Accepting one another in love. Verse 3, diligently, diligently, love that word, diligently keeping the unity of spirit with peace that binds us. There it is. That's that thing. That thing that makes God's assembled people, His church, so extraordinary, so resilient. It's unity. 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 Unity is the state of being undivided, having oneness, a condition of harmony. Unity in what? He continues in verse 4. One body. That's the church. One spirit that keeps us together. Just as you were called to one hope. At your calling, follower of Jesus, 
when the Spirit nudged you and said, confess Jesus as Savior, Lord, King, and God, you were given one hope at that time of confession. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. One. Unity. Christian unity is unified in this. We're unified in Christ as Lord. We're unified in the confession of Christ and baptism. We're unified in the shared mission of the church. Or the same thinking, the same focus. There's a unity there. And in the shared concern for one another. Same love. That's Christian unity. That is our defining marker. That's what makes the organization of the church different from any other organization. Unity. Followers of Jesus, Christians, His church, unified. Unified in hope. Unified in purpose and mission. Unified when attacked. Unified when the opposition opposes. Unified in truth and unified in action. Unified above everything. Now, unity does not mean identical. We're not called to be identical. We're not clones. We're not robots. God doesn't expect us to be, and I certainly don't think that God wants us to be. The church is made up of people with different opinions, different personalities. The church is made up of people with different backgrounds, different upbringings, different political views, different parenting styles, different clothing styles, different abilities, different responsibilities, different ages. We are different, but we're unified in Jesus. We are different, but we're all the same because of Jesus. We are different, but we follow and serve and live for the same Lord, the same ruler, the same King, the same God, the unified God. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, unified as one. And that's what Paul goes on to explain in the next several verses in Ephesians. The different ways that the individual parts of the body of Christ, the church, make up that one body. Different, but one body. And then, he gives the purpose of the body in verse 12. Check out verse 12. For the training of the saints in the work of the ministry to build up the body. All those different things, all our different things, come together for the training of the saints, which is, if you're new to church, that's just a, 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 an official way of saying people that follow Jesus. It's not a way of saying that we think we're saintly. I certainly don't think that I'm saintly. But I do try to follow Jesus. For the training of the saints in the work of the ministry, the work of the church, the work of meeting the needs of each other and those that are not part of us, of each other. To build up the body. Why? Verse 13. Why do we do that? Verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith 
and in the knowledge of God's Son. Verse 14, so we aren't thrown around like children and believe all the lies out there. Why do we work so hard to train each other for the works of the ministry to build up the body so that we become unified and built up and mature not like children, Paul says. Children are tossed to and fro. You can get a child to believe almost anything. And Paul says, don't be like that, Christian. Don't, don't believe all the things that are out there. Don't follow just anyone. Be built up. Be matured. Be unified together as a body of, body of believers. Be together. And then in first, verse 15, excuse me, he gives what I believe is the key. I believe it's the key to, to, to unity and to being who we're supposed to be in the church, as the church. Verse 15, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head, Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Do you know you aren't perfect? (laughs) Sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes it's mistakes. Sometimes it's just plain old ugly sin. We sin. We need each other to speak the truth in love and bring us back in line. Sometimes things need to change. Sometimes we need to change. Sometimes the body of Christ, the church, needs major surgery to repair our heart. Something major needs to be fixed sometimes. Sometimes the body of Christ, the church, needs a heart transplant. The heart that can't or won't be fixed got to be removed it's got to go so a new heart that does work can take its place unity is our defining marker church body of believers unity and paul said if you look at back at those first verses we looked at he said to diligently keep it you see Unity is not sticking our head in the sand and pretending everything and everybody is perfect. That's not diligently keeping unity. That's pretending that there may be unity. It's not sticking our head in the sand. That's either ignorance doing that or it's pride. We're either being ignorant of our shortcomings and our fallings Or we're pretending like we don't have any, which is pride. Unity is, with our imperfections and with our weaknesses, we press on towards the common mission of advancing the things of God. Shared focus on what God says matters. Not wasting time on trivial, meaningless things that don't make a hill of beans about nothing, as my dad would say. That don't make a hill of beans about nothing. Anything that you can say that after that 
we shouldn't spend time on. If it needs to get done, it should just get done. If it needs to change, it should just change. Whatever it is. Whatever those things are that you can say, you don't mount the hill of beans after it, just get it done. Whatever it is. Let's not waste time on, on that stuff. Share concern for one another. Shared love for one another. Unity in that. And sharing that God loves you. God wants you. God has a purpose and a meaning for you. And yes, yes, God is calling you and me and whoever we're speaking this to in the world. God is calling you to righteousness in Him for you. So we need to walk worthy of our calling. Walk worthy of your calling. Be unified in our one hope. We have one hope. Be unified in that hope. Unity over everything. If it divides, it's got to go. Unity over everything. Why? Is it, is it that important? Is it? Is unity that important? Let's look at what Jesus had to say about it. Let's see what Jesus had to say about unity. What we're going to look at is just a few verses in John. I've got it on the screen, so you may have to change to it if, unless you just want to. This is right before Jesus is about to be arrested. And I say that because whatever he's about to say before he's about to be arrested is probably pretty important. And Jesus is praying. This that we're about to look at truly is part of what truly is the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus actually praying. We should read our Bible. There's some pretty phenomenal stuff in there, like Jesus praying. Jesus is praying here, and, and he says, okay, let's flip to the next slide. John chapter 17. I pray not on behalf of these only, which would be the people that are there with him, his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their message, which would be the people that they met, or excuse me, that they reached all the way to us. We're that we're the people that he's praying for right here. That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. So that also may they be one in us. Why? So the world may believe that you sent me. How important is unity? Without it, the world's not going to believe what we're selling. Without unity, the world's going to look at us and say, yeah, yeah. I don't think they really mean it. But when unity overrides all those differences that we just discussed a minute ago, all those differences, when we have a shared mission and a shared concern for each other over all that other stuff, not that we pretend like it doesn't exist, but we care about what matters most, most then the world will believe in Jesus, that Jesus was sent by God. Next slide. Verse 22. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one. <laughs> See how that keeps happening? Just as we are one. Next slide. I and them and you and me, that they may be. 
perfected in unity. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. This is in the middle of a long prayer. But it's right smack dab right there in the middle. The inst- the, as soon as Jesus transitions from talking to God about what he's been doing, and he goes into praying for others, the first thing he says is, God, keep them unified. Keep them unified. Don't let anything divide them. Don't let them divide themselves. God, keep them unified. Unified in what matters over everything else. Keep them unified, God. Why? So that they'll believe that I am who I say I am. That unity that the church has that brings so many different things, so many different types of people together all across the world. Think about all the people that are meeting together all across the world in the church today. And the one thing that binds us all is Jesus. So there's different languages, there's different nationalities, different countries, rich people, poor people, pretty people, ugly people, all different types of people, all meeting together, hearing the word preached, singing songs to God, all because of Jesus, the one thing that unifies us. If Jesus thought it was so important to pray about it right before he was fixing to be arrested and then taken and crucified, then I think it's probably something that we should place high importance on. So how can we diligently guard and increase unity? How can we diligently guard and increase unity? The first thing we've got to do is pray for it. If we're going to be unified, we've got to pray for it. If Jesus was praying for it, we need to pray for it. And I think Jesus was praying for it because he knew that it was going to be difficult to stay unified. It's not easy to stay unified. It's easy to divide. It's easy to look at our differences and let those separate us. It's easy to get our feelings hurt and let that split relationships. It's easy to not forgive and hold grudges against people and let that kill a relationship. It's easy to do all that stuff. It's easy to divide. That's why Jesus is so concerned about it because he knew it wasn't going to be easy. He's praying for it. We got to pray for it. We got to pray for unity. Pray for unity in our church. Pray for unity in the church. We have to pray to be unified. Unified in what? Unified in the same mission, the same focus, the same care for each other. Love for one another. Second thing, speak the truth in love. We've got to speak the truth in love. When something is wrong, when someone is wrong, when something needs to change, speak the truth in love. How do you do that? I think you speak the truth with the purpose of reconciliation, not disagreement. When something's wrong, when someone's wrong, when something needs to change, you address it with the heart and the desire and the hope for reconciliation, to bring things together, not for disagreement. So, so we need to check our heart before we address something. 
Are you addressing it? Are you speaking up about it? Are you addressing the person? Are you going to the person to cause disagreement? To cause harm? To hurt? If you are, if I am, then we're wrong. That's not speaking the truth in love. You may be saying something that's truthful, but it's not in love. And the two have to go together. It has to be together. How else? You speak the truth in love with the purpose of restoration, not destruction. So we need to check ourselves. Things need to be addressed. Sometimes things need to change. Sometimes we need to change. Sometimes we're wrong. And we need to check ourselves when we're addressing that thing or that person. Are we doing it with the hope of restoration? Of restoring the person? Of, of constructing something? Or are we trying to destroy something? Or God forbid, someone? If our goal, if our desire, if we're mad about it, and we're trying to destruct, then we're wrong. Even if you're right. Even if I'm right. Even if what we're saying is true, if we're doing it with the heart of harm or destroying or causing disagreement or causing dissension, regardless of how good it makes us feel in the moment, regardless of how we like to say, well, you just got to tell it how it is. You do. It's right. Tell it how it is. Speak the truth. We have to speak the truth. But it's got to come from the right heart. Or it doesn't matter that it's the truth. Speak the truth with the purpose of reconciliation, not disagreement. Speak the truth with the purpose of restoration, not destruction. That's speaking the truth in love. Third thing, rely on and live in faith. First thing we talked about in this series, faith. Belief and trust in action with a conviction, a convincing of God's truth. Rely on and live in faith. In the truth and conviction of our hope. Rely on that. Rely on Jesus. Rely on the fact that Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is coming back. And everything is going to be restored and justified in the end. Rely on that. Live in that. Why? Because faith unifies. Fear divides. Faith unifies. Fear divides. When we approach anything with a heart of fear, we're approaching it with division already taking place. Faith. Fourth thing, forgive, forgive, forgive. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Just as God the Father has forgiven you and me. Forgive. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you weren't hurt. Doesn't mean that they weren't wrong. It means that you trust that in the end, your faith, your hope, that one thing, you trust that God is going to make things right. You leave it up to Him. He said He's going to make it right. He says He's going to make it right. Do we believe that? Do we trust Him or not? When you don't forgive, that's what you're saying. When we harbor unforgiveness, when we don't forgive, we're saying, God, I don't trust you to do this right. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to dole out the punishment. I'm going to dole out the judgment. I'm going to say what's right and wrong. I'm going to say what should be done. I don't trust you to do it, God. 
I mean, only for my salvation for eternity, but because so-and-so was rude to me, I don't trust you to handle that. Right? Because that thing at work, the way it went down, that wasn't right. I can't forgive that person for that. Forgive, 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 forgive. God forgives you. God forgives me. How can we not forgive each other? How can we not forgive each other, church? Forgive. Last thing. I really don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> if, if unity is not your goal, if unity is not your aim, if it's not your mission, if it's not your heart, if you're here to divide, cause dissension, destruction, harm, then, then I will say this as clearly and plainly as, I, plainly as I can. Please leave. Please leave. Please leave this church. If that's your goal, to divide and cause harm and cause destruction and cause dissension in all the forms and fashions that we can do that, and we're real good at it, I mean human beings in general, make us mad and we're good at that part. But if that's your goal, if you don't want to be part of unity, if you don't want to be part of what God's called the church to be, I love you and I care for you. I'll help you and I want the best for you. But please leave. Please leave. Because the mission of the church is too important. What God's called us to is too important. People's eternity is too important. People being built up to the full maturity of the faith, the saints being built up to do the work, the ministry of the church is too important for us not to speak the truth in love and say, the church is more important than your feelings. It's more important than my feelings. The truth is more important than someone's feelings. Speaking the truth doesn't mean that something's not going to hurt. Speaking the truth in love doesn't mean something's not going to hurt. It's probably going to be uncomfortable, but you speak the truth in love because what you're saying is what's best for that person. That's the difference. It's what's best for the person. In other words, if somebody's walking down the wrong path, you know what I'm talking about. Should have went this way, went that way. And it's getting darker and worse and worse and worse. And you see it, and it's plain and clear. Going to someone and telling them that is not going to be fun. Zero comfortability in that. And they're not going to like it. But you don't go to them and explain and speak the truth in love and say that to hurt them. The path they're on is going to hurt them. So our uncomfortability, our feelings and their feelings are more important, are, excuse me, are not as important as getting them back on the right path. So again, if, you're, if your goal is to divide this church, cause dissension in this church, cause harm in people's lives, not speak the truth, I'll say it again. Please leave. I love you. 
but please leave. Because if we're going to meet together every Sunday, if we're going to have a mission of caring for each other, taking care of each other, and reaching individuals outside of these walls that don't know the, the one hope that there is in this world, if we're going to do that, that's more important than one individual, any one individual. Thankfully, I don't think any of you are that person. I don't. I think we want to do the mission of the church. I believe with all my heart that this church wants to be the church that God's called us to be. We want to care for each other and love for each other and take care of each other. And we want to do the exact same thing for people outside of these walls. I believe that. But our vision's got to be one unified vision heading towards that. And when something's not part of that, not part of that one vision of doing that, then we have to have the boldness to step up, speak the truth in love, and then move forward in whatever it may be. We're going to sing two more songs this morning. If our worship team will come back up here. What's this time for? This time is to continue worshiping God through song. This time is to come down here, have a physical expression of what's inside of you. Come down here, take a knee, and pray to God for unity. Pray to God for the strength to go forgive the person that you know you should have forgiven years ago, maybe. This time is to come down here and say, hey, I want to publicly join this thing you're talking about. I want to be part of that. You can do that right now. You can come just pray about whatever. You can come down here and ask me to pray with you, and I'd be happy to. You can come down here and accept Jesus for the first time ever. Make the best decision you've ever made in your life. That's what this time is for. So we're going to sing two more songs. If you want to stand up and sing with us, great. If you want to come down here and pray, great. I'll pray for us, and we'll do that. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us such clear directions of how to be your church, God. I pray that you give us the strength, the boldness, the faith in you to carry out what it is that you put before us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.